You're listening to The Revealer Podcast, where we explore how religion shapes our culture and our communities. Produced by the Center for Religion and Media at NYU and hosted by me, Dr. Brett Crutch. Each month, we sit down with experts to discuss the role religion plays in politics, in people's lives, and throughout our world. In today's show, we're discussing the popularity of prosperity gospel Pentecostalism among Latino Americans. What is prosperity gospel Pentecostalism and why have so many Latino Americans been drawn to it? Why is it important to understand Pentecostalism, especially among Latino Americans, if we are to truly understand the place of religion in the United States? And how does the prosperity gospel keep the American dream alive for so many Latino Americans today? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Revealer Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Brett Crutch. I'm very excited to be chatting today with Dr. Tony Tian Ren Lin. He is the author of the new book, Prosperity Gospel Latinos and Their American Dream, available now. You can read an excerpt from his book in the upcoming April issue of The Revealer at therevealer.org. Hi, Tony. It's great to chat with you. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for the invitation. I'm honored to be here. Of course. So I have to say first that your book is especially well-written, and that's not something I say lightly. The writing is so clear and vivid, and I knew immediately that I wanted to use the book the next time I teach my undergraduate American religion class at NYU, because the reader doesn't really need to know anything about Pentecostalism or the prosperity gospel or Latino religiosity, because you explain it all so clearly and with such compelling stories about people's lives. So congratulations. I know you researched and participated in and studied Latino religious communities for many years to write this book, and it shows in the best of ways. Wow, thank you. Thank you. It's a, it's, that's really humbling. That was, that was my goal. I wanted to write a book that you could hand to, to anybody, and it would be a window into this, uh, this world that often gets it's uh, mischaracterized and stereotype, and, and I was hoping that this would be a, a little window for people to see what was going on. Great. Well, you achieved your goal. It's definitely a success. So the book focuses on the popularity of prosperity gospel Pentecostalism among Latino Americans, and I'd like to start with just the basics. So could you begin by explaining for us what is prosperity gospel Pentecostalism? It's very modern in that it follows a formula. And the, the formula for, for prosperity gospel is that first, you've got to have faith. Second, you have to take action based on that faith. And those two things will lead to a blessing. Hmm. And that is not a, a blind faith. That is a guarantee, right? People who believe in prosperity gospel, this is guaranteed to happen. And the, the connection to... To the American dream, the gospel of the American dream is that at the core of it, this is the, the ideal of meritocracy, right? It's a myth of meritocracy that if you if you follow the rules and you work hard, you can go as far as, as your gifts will take you. And the communities I study, the Latin American immigrant communities I study, they know better than to believe in this, in the pipe dream that if you follow the rules and, you know, work hard, you have everything you want because they, they've been working hard. Most of these people mm -hmm. are working two, three jobs and they are following the rule. Pentecostalism is a, is a very traditional moral religion, but they know that's not enough. And what prosperity gospel gives them is 
the God factor, right? They give them what I call a miraculous meritocracy. So they work hard, they believe, right? They have faith, they have to work very hard. And what their hard work cannot give them, God will give them through a miracle. Hmm. You mentioned that many Latino Americans, many immigrants don't believe that meritocracy actually benefits most people, but that when filtered through the lens of prosperity gospel Pentecostalism, they can become more attracted to it. So can you explain a bit more about how that happens? How does prosperity gospel Pentecostalism become particularly popular among Latino Americans? What is it offering? What does it give to people in their daily lives that makes it quite appealing? Yeah, so there are two ways why prosperity gospel is so popular. Max Weber very famously said that the theodicies, right, the, the explanations of, of suffering in the world are not only for the, the poor, but also for the rich, right? Hmm. It's not enough for the rich to know that they're blessed and chosen to have wealth, but they need to know why they have it as opposed to others when so many are suffering and so hmm. many are poor. Hmm. And so, Prosperity Gospel, on one hand, it helps explain for those who are successful, for those who have made it mm -hmm. to the United States, and for many of the immigrants I studied, if you just made it, if you're in here, mm. right, especially now, especially in the last few years, if yes. your kids didn't get locked up in a cage and died in a cage, you mm. are blessed, mm. right? Mm -hmm. and, and that's a real, real categorical, yes. you know, actual real blessing. But for all those who've made it, they are still very much in touch with their families back at home. And for many of them, as many difficulties as they face here, they are much better off. And this helps them make sense, right? Mm -hmm. That it is for them, this is not random. They mm -hmm. weren't just lucky that they made it. They're not just lucky that they have a home and they have certain levels of, of security. Mm -hmm. But it is because of their faith. They, mm -hmm. they are given credit for being in the U.S., for having these jobs, for being able to raise their children here. But then for those who don't, for those who are still in search of it, yes. for many of them, it's the only source of hope hmm. that they have, unfortunately. After they sacrifice everything to come here, mm -hmm. and they're hit with the reality of racism and mm -hmm. injustices and how so, so many systems and... Yeah, just everything they face is it, just what was not what they thought it was going to be. Yeah. The only thing that gives them hope is that if I still follow this system, if I continue to work hard, if I continue to follow the rules, maybe God will give me that miracle. Hmm. Because if God is not there to give me that miracle, then, then what's the point, right? What's the point of literally breaking their backs, picking strawberries, you know, 12 hours a day and, hmm. you know, working for hardly anything, mm -hmm. right? This, this is, and, and this is my, my response, by the way, to, to many, many people who criticize the people who believe in prosperity gospel. I, I ask them, then, then what hope do you have to give them? Mm -hmm. What do you mm -hmm. tell them? Why should mm -hmm. they, you know, continue yes. to work hard and break their backs and clean your bathroom and pick the food that we eat? <laughs> Why should they keep going? Right. If all they see are continuous oppression and, and, uh, and being marginalized in this way. Right, right. 
And that makes me think about the book title and and one of the things that you write about how the prosperity gospel keeps the American dream alive for mm-hmm. some Latino Americans. And you write, I have a quote here that I pulled, that it keeps the American dream alive, quote, even when everything around them feels like an American myth or even a nightmare. And so it sounds like that's what you're saying, that in the midst of what can be quite complicated and difficult and oppressive and nightmarish, in, in your words, that this allows them to have something still to believe in ways that life can improve for them. Is that, is that, am I getting that right or is there more to it? Yeah. All the things we took for granted, right? The idea that, you know, you could go to school, study hard, get, go to college and then mm-hmm. have, a, have a steady job and mm-hmm. live a normal life, right? This is, it's gone. That's... Mm-hmm. That's a myth that's been exposed. Uh, mm-hmm. The idea that we are a beacon of democracy, right? That uh, every vote counts and we, that it's a government for the people, by the people, right? In the last few years. And, you know, even very recently, we realize, well, maybe, maybe not so much. Maybe right. this is, this is not how we've been uh, governed. And, you know, even the, the idea of justice and progress, racial justice and progress, we've come to assume certain things and then we see, all these uh, black people being killed on the streets. Mm-hmm. Immigrants, of course, suffer this the moment we, we immigrate, right? Mm-hmm. As an immigrant myself, the moment I got off the plane, hmm. everything I assume about my life was, uh, was left behind as soon as I, I set foot at, uh, at JFK, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, immigrants, we, we have to, to, to rebuild that sense of, of, mm-hmm. uh, of purpose and, and social cohesion and, and all of those things. And religion is uh, one of the most powerful ways, right, mm-hmm. to give meaning for people. And this is the most accessible way yeah. for Latin American immigrants to pursue their American dream on their own terms, right? And, and this is key, mm-hmm. right? That's why the, the title of my book is their American dream. Yes. They're not here. They didn't show up to pursue the, the white middle class, white American, pick a fence, 2.5 kid, yeah. American dream. Yeah. Right? Most of them are not interested in that. No, most of them, are, they're not interested in, in conforming to mm-hmm. the, the standards of whiteness, yes. middle class whiteness. They have their own dreams. And, uh, you know, it is prosperity gospel, so it is still a, a very materialistic, capitalist, you know, fully coded in neoliberalism and meritocracy, but it is, it, it's in their terms, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, a, it's a very empowering form of pursuing the American dream. And, and something very, very interesting is that right now, the, the three countries where, where we're seeing the most immigrants, Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras, 90-some percent of people in those countries believe in prosperity gospel. Wow. So, whereas the people I study have been here for, for some time, and many of them converted after they came, right. right now, they are coming already believing hmm. in the American dream. They are coming already believing in meritocratic systems and capitalist ideals and all these ideals ingrained in prosperity gospel. Right. They, they are coming to lay claim of, of the promises that was made to them. Right, right. I suspect many listeners at this point have a question that I also suspect you get often about your work. And that is, 
How does an individual believer who is deeply devout and committed to her faith and leads a model life, but who remains in poverty or who is dealing with chronic illness, how might she make sense of the difficulties in her life given what she is doing to have a strong commitment to her faith? How do people reconcile those difficulties? Yeah, there are three primary ways I've, I've seen people cope with this. Uh, a small minority just leave. They, hmm. uh, they leave the, the, the faith. Sure. The, the more unfortunate one, the most popular one that I found because I was in these communities is self-blame. They, they think it's, it's their own fault. Hmm. Prosperity gospel, like I said, is a formula. And each of the elements, faith and action, is so subjectively defined that the system is really like a casino, right? The, the house always wins. Hmm. So you either don't have enough faith or you didn't take the right action. Hmm. But no matter what, it's your fault, hmm. right? And it has to be this way because prosperity gospel is an empowering religion. Mm-hmm. Nothing is out of your control. And again, this is why it's so, so attractive to people who live in worlds where nothing is under their control. Mm, yes. right? When you're so powerless, you hang on to, to the theologies that tells you that you are in full control. So it, it's simultaneously empowering, but also debilitating mm. because they are empowered to think that, hey, if I have enough faith and I do the right thing, I can have anything I want. But if I don't do the right thing, if I doubt, even for a second, right? Faith, I, I, I say it in the book, is, is positive thinking. Mm-hmm. And if you even doubt for a second, mm-hmm. that's viewed as, uh, as an act of unfaithfulness. And that alone can derail mm-hmm. everything you've done. And so there, there is quite a bit of self-blame. But in the self-blame, they keep hope. One of the, the guys I, I describe in the book who, who started the landscaping company and then he, he lost everything. Yes. I met him years after and he still believed. He said, hey, you work once, you can work again. Hmm. I, I just got to prepare. I just got to be ready this time. And I'm going to try it again and I'm going to be rich again. Hmm. Right. So even in their self-blame, there's empowerment, there's hope. And then the third aspect is denial. I've sat and interviewed people, this one guy especially, he, he was sleeping on a, on a cot in a corner in this apartment with 10 other guys. There were cockroaches everywhere. Mm. And I'm sitting there interviewing him and he is telling me about how much he's prospering and how much God is blessing him. Mm. And, you know, as a researcher, I, I nodded and recorded it, but, but I'm looking... And, and looking around at everything yeah. he has. And right. Prosperity Gospel gave him the tool to, to reinterpret hmm. his reality hmm. in a way that, uh, that was very different from, uh, from what he was actually living. And, and he does that for many people. So on that topic of positivity, keeping the faith, maintaining a positive attitude, is there any political effect to all of that, to trying to maintain a positive attitude in the face of such profound structural inequalities? Does this mean that Latino prosperity gospel Pentecostals are likely to be apolitical? Are they more likely then to 
participate in movements for racial equality and other issues. What impact, if any, does this set of beliefs have on their political lives? The communities I studied, they were very apolitical Mm. because at the very core of prosperity gospel, again, it's about self-empowerment. And so you do not need the government. You do not, Mm. even, you know, immigration was the the biggest uh, challenge they were facing when I was, uh, when I was studying these communities. And the idea of lobbying or asking or or signing petitions was was never, never within the conversations Mm. for these communities because God can do the, perform the miracles, Mm. right? You don't rely on the government to Mm. do what God can do for you. Right, right. And, and so this recent attachment to to one political candidate is it's it's a very fairly new phenomenon. Uh, I know there there are there are a few high profile prosperity gospel Latino preachers who who have endorsed uh, the former president and have have signed on to to his agenda. But I don't know that the average storefront uh, Latino prosperity right. gospel church is doing this because of the challenge, the, the conflict mm-hmm. with that ideology of self-empowerment and, and, and self-reliance. Right. So you say in the book that being a prosperity gospel Pentecostal takes a lot of work, both spiritual work and physical work, and that the spiritual work and physical work can actually come into conflict with each other. So could mm-hmm. you explain a bit what is the spiritual and physical work in the life of a faithful prosperity gospel Pentecostal, and how do they come into conflict with each other? Yeah, so this is where I talk about the paradox of prosperity gospel, right? One of the many paradoxes. The, the, mm-hmm. the harder you work at being a prosperity gospel, the less opportunities you have to get actual work to, to prosper. So the, the spiritual work that's required is all the activities that you would expect the Christians to do. So praying, attending church, going to revivals, evangelizing. Mm. So th- these are very, very, very evangelistic, you know, very aggressively evangelistic um, mm-hmm. uh, religions. In order to be a faithful Pentecostal, mm-hmm. you are spending at, at least four days a week mm. in the church, mm. right? Because there's there's a Sunday service, morning service, evening service, there's prayer meetings, there's Bible studies, and... And you are expected to attend these things. Mm. And then on your day, days off, you have to go knock on doors. You knock on ah. doors to evangelize and pray for people. Yeah. And, and so all of this takes a lot of time. And the, the paradox comes when because a lot of people work in things that, that, that are seasonal mm-hmm. when it comes to spring and summers, they will have encountered people who've, who've turned down extra work in order to be at church or in order to, to knock on more doors and do mm. church activities because that's, that's part of their spiritual work. They're afraid that if I don't go to church, if I miss church, God will stop blessing me. Mm. So I have to show up, right? right? And then, of course, the, the other part, the other work is mm-hmm. the giving money, tithing, 
right? Uh-huh. Giving money is, is also part of the, the spiritual work. And, uh, and I want to emphasize mo- most people think that, you know, that that's the worst part of it. it it's not, it's not. And I don't, and, and I said in the book, I, I never, in all the communities I study in the book and beyond, I, I've never met a person who went bankrupt. I've never met that, that senior citizen mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. wrote her last check to the, that never happened. That, that's never happened. They do give a lot of money. Mm-hmm. They, they do give sacrificially as they, they call it, mm-hmm. but not, not, not irresponsibly. Right. I, I don't I, I haven't met anybody who's given ir- irresponsibly. I think that that happens and the media catches it and you see that yes. everywhere. But sure. But on a weekly to week, th- these are people who, you know, extremely tight communities. And certainly for the, the pastors I met in these churches, they would not allow a single mother huh. to give over their entire paycheck and neglect their kids. They would not they would not encourage or support an sure. act like that. Right. Sure. But the time invested in the church, that, that, is, that is real. And, and it takes away from their mm-hmm. ability to work more and the financial tithe, financial gifts that they, they have to give. You know, they do practice tithing, which is giving 10% of, of what you make. And, and when you're making minimum wage, that, that's, that's significant. Mm-hmm. Sometimes in some communities, and I've heard it, saving is almost a, an act of uh, unfaithfulness. Right, hmm. because why aren't you trusting God? Why hmm. don't you trust God? Why do you have to have it in the bank? Right, invested in the ministry, invested in in doing the work of God, and then God will bless you. Right, wow. so 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 these are the the paradoxes that that you right. find within those those communities. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting conundrum: needing to both be in church and an active member of the faith community, while also needing to work and make money and the demands on yourself when there's only so much any one person can do. So what I'd like to ask, because I think people in the media and in academia and elsewhere often dismiss Pentecostalism as an almost primitive form of Christianity that shouldn't be taken seriously. But you really say in the book that if we are to understand American culture today properly, we need to understand the place of Pentecostalism in the U.S. and perhaps more broadly the world. Could you say a bit about why it's so important that we have a better understanding of Pentecostalism and why more people take it seriously and we get rid of these ridiculous stereotypes? Yeah, I I think the main reason, I think, is most of Western Christianity is a form of prosperity gospel. Hmm. And with that, the greatest challenge is that Christianity is supposed to be uh, a religion of grace, but prosperity gospel and its meritocratic, materialistic emphasis is not, right? And uh, the, the problem of merit is not just that it's so individualistic and, and self-centered, but the victim-blaming of injustices that we see around us mm-hmm. is something that that continues to replicate injustices. It keeps us from getting to the real solution, and it keeps people on a path, on an invented path, that that will not lead to the the solutions that they're seeking. Right, financial stability, being able to raise their kids, the myth of merit will not get us there. And prosperity gospel is, as the gospel of the American dream, continues to perpetrate 
that misunderstanding. And I think to to end a lot of injustices that we see around us, the the structural injustices, we need to get to the core of uh, of why those are there to begin with. And they are there because at the core we have this hegemonic idea that those who have deserve it and those who don't are are lazy and and fail somehow. Mm -hmm. And I say that the one thing we have to pay a lot of attention to, like I said, is that the, the largest prosperity gospel churches in the world are not in America anymore. They are not in the United States. This, this was born and created in the U.S., but the richest prosperity gospel preachers in the U.S., their net worth are a shadow of the global right hmm. If you look at some of the, the wealth of some of the prosperity gospel preachers, in Brazil and, uh, you know, throughout Sub-Saharan Africa. Hmm. You know, I think that the, the assistant pastors in those churches have a net worth that's more than, than Joel Osteen here in the oh, wow. U.S., right? You can't even compare huh. the, the money. And I say that I, I believe this is a form of, uh, of cultural imperialism that's being propagated in the code of, uh, under the code of Christianity. It is uh, wiping away local forms of Christianity, indigenous hmm. forms of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Christianity historically has been uh, the the most malleable form of uh, of religion in the world. Historically, th- this was a, a religion that people took and they they adapted to their own context and they cre- you know wrote their own songs, had their local theologies. But now with prosperity gospel, it is wiping everything out. I've been in worship services in Buenos Aires and uh, in uh, Sao Paulo and in many places in the U.S. And you could close your eyes Hmm. and it would be the same. Yeah, wow. Right? The core of the message in different languages, but it's the same. Wow. On one point, as a as a scholar, is sad that you know we're losing local mm-hmm. forms of Christianity, mm-hmm. but but I also think it's dangerous because it, it is exporting this very particular way of of thinking about the world and relating to one another that I, I think is is destructive. It's destructive to yeah to communities. Yeah. Well, thank you for that response and for this interesting conversation. I definitely appreciate it. That is all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank our guest, Tony Tianrin Lin, and I'd like to thank our production editor, Anna Donch. You can find an excerpt from the book, Prosperity Gospel Latinos and Their American Dream, in the upcoming April issue of The Revealer at therevealer.org. And you can purchase Prosperity Gospel Latinos and Their American Dream wherever you currently buy books. I'm Brett Crutch. I hope you'll join us for our next episode next month. We'll be discussing faith-based prisons in the United States and the role of the government in promoting religion within the American carceral system. In the meantime, I hope you stay safe and healthy. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Revealer Podcast with music by Kevin McLeod and production editing by Anna Donch. If you want to get in touch with us, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at therevealerpodcast at gmail.com and check us out at therevealer.org. Revealer.org.